0: This is the Awareness Offerings Podcast, a weekly offering of yoga philosophy discussion and guided meditation for the moments we're living in. I'm your host, Lara Davy Joplin. I'm a yoga and meditation teacher, integrative therapist, and spiritual social media strategist. I'm trying to integrate the principles of spiritual philosophy as I understand them into all those areas of my work and into my life trying to understand my position as a white woman devotee of yoga in the West, and simply trying to live with awareness. This podcast is me doing all that out loud. Welcome in. You're listening to episode 73. So this is love. Hi. <laughs> Welcome to this week's awareness offering. As always, if you'd like to support the Awareness Offerings podcast, just to go ahead and knock out the housekeeping right off the bat, best ways to do so to support the show are by rating, subscribing, and or leaving a review on whatever platform you're currently using to listen. If you feel called, you can also share via word of mouth or on social media. And all of those things just help other people find this show. And I appreciate that. I appreciate you being here right now and listening. That's my favorite part. So thanks. Thanks for being here. And as always, we'll do what we can to get here. We'll go into our opening practice of singing the sound of OM one time. And you might have noticed that I kind of explain OM in a slightly different way each time. And that is both purposeful and necessary because om is said to be the sound that contains all other sounds. It is vastness. It is consciousness itself. And so... I don't think just like you know the sacred itself according to my spiritual tradition i don't think there's a way to ever fully wrap words or wrap the brain around om so it's going to be a little different every time and maybe we can just grab little pieces of understanding of it each time and that is to say i received a new understanding of om this past weekend Every time I hear a different teacher teach about OM, or even if I hear the same teacher teach about it a different day or in a different way, I get a new snippet of understanding of, of what this means, of what you know, consciousness itself means. No big deal. And this past weekend was the opening weekend for the classical yoga teacher training program at Kashi Atlanta, my uh, spiritual home, my ashram, my yoga center, the place where I study and teach. Um, we run a, an annual gorgeous yoga teacher training for 200-hour teachers, and we kicked off our 2023 uh, class. Our, our, we welcomed our 2023 cohort this past weekend. So um, I got to hear my teacher teach about Om. My spiritual teacher, Swami Jayadevi, who is the lead teacher in our teacher training as well, I got to hear her teach a new group of aspiring yoga teachers about Om, And I got to hear her explain it in a way I've never heard her explain it before. And, you know, she explained Om as the source, which makes sense because it's like that sound that contains all other sounds. But just the way she said it or like the tone or the vibe or whatever it was just landed in my heart in a different way. And it connected something like OM is the source sound. OM represents source, which again makes sense if it is the sound from which all other sounds arise. It is the seed sound of all seed sounds. But I also received that as a reminder that if OM represents source Om is a practice of connecting to a source, whether that source is just us, our vibration, our sound, our hearts, our moment, our consciousness, or consciousness itself, right? Capital C consciousness, or whatever else we might recognize as our source, whether that's a teacher or, you know, a saint or a holy person or a deity, a sacred form of some kind, Home is a source sound and a source practice. So it's a longer explanation this time, but I got to reconnect to my like yoga nerd self as I see another group of teachers, you know, connect deeply to this practice in beginning their yoga teacher training. So I had a little more to say today. So let's do it. Let's Let's connect to our source sound, whatever that might mean to you. As always, you can sing OM out loud. You can practice this simply by listening. You can vocalize whether you are using OM or not. If you're coming along at this moment, I'll invite you to get your body into some kind of comfortable position. If it's safe and comfortable and supportive for you to do so, you might choose to close your eyes or just take a soft gaze by looking down toward the tip of your nose or toward the floor with unfocused eyes, just turning a little more toward the internal than the external for just a moment. Then you might take a breath in through the nose if nostril breathing is available. And let's release that breath. Just make some space first. And then we'll inhale for one round of om the source sound. Om. Thank you for joining me in that practice, and now for this week's discussion. I'm really aware, as I usually am, that you might be listening to this episode at any point in in time, um, but I am recording this episode on Valentine's week, if you will, and um, february 14th was this tuesday 2023 february 14th 2023 was two days ago i'm recording this on thursday of the week of the 14th thursday my my pod recording day so it's the 16th um, but february 14th happened within the week that i'm recording this podcast and i'm aware as a lot of us are probably <laughs> that you know, February 14th is a day that we culturally recognize as symbolizing love. And I also feel really aware that there's a lot tied up in that. First of all, I mean, there's a lot of really valid discussion to be had and being had, as I have seen in the different corners of internet discourse that I peek into, um, about just the fact that... um, a lot of holidays are rooted in capitalism, in creating an occasion so that there is a reason and a an impetus to spend money, and I think that's really valid. And as my, my teacher talked about, because I was with her again, not only did I get to be with her some this weekend as we began yoga teacher training, I tuned in virtually. I was taking a rest night last night, so I didn't leave the house, but I tuned in virtually to a Wednesday night class that my spiritual teacher, Swami Jayadevi, teaches every week. She teaches a 7:30 p.m. Wednesday class about spiritual growth and meditation. She discusses yoga philosophy, spiritual principles, and then leads meditation. And I tuned into that virtually last night and she was acknowledging as I am now and in partially inspired by what she taught that not only you know she didn't touch much on the capitalism piece that's more internet um, but she also she acknowledged that um, this holiday is complicated in other ways that it can stir things up it can stir up love and sweetness and connection it can stir up feelings of not enoughness or aloneness or loss or grief and in fact she intentionally chose to spoke to speak and teach about love last night because of the week that we're in and most of the the talk the the dharma talk if you will ended up being about grief and that was a lot led by our community folks in our community ended up asking questions about things like grief and trauma but a lot of this discussion ended up about love ended up being about grief um and so she acknowledged that this holiday is complex in that it can stir up a lot of pain. The internet is acknowledging that this holiday is complex to say the least because of its association with the capitalist structures that we're all living under and contending with, especially in the ways that they are like toxic to our lives. So all of that is contained in this, and this is a period that we do culturally associate with love. And we are invited to celebrate the people that we love. And I think there's something to that, even with the complexities and nuances. And if you listen to this show, you know I'm a fan of nuance and I I do my best to hold that reality while also allowing and acknowledging that there is sweetness in acknowledging love. That I don't think that that itself, which I know we can't separate from the grief and the capitalism, but if we look at that, as an act in its simplest form, I don't think that can be a bad thing. And I know that a lot of folks, you know, share and express and and join in their love for a partner on Valentine's Day. I got to do that this year. I'm super lucky. A lot of folks express love for their friends, right? Galentine's um, celebrating female friendship, or I think all kinds of friendship. I don't want to assign too much gendered stuff to it, but that has become a tradition. I received messages and sent messages from, from female and, um, you know, femme friends this, this week. So that has become a tradition. Um, I know folks, and, and I myself do it as well, who express love for their pets, uh, during this week. So there is a sense of love expression, so I'm coming to you in this layered week where, where there's an invitation to love, which I think is always powerful and always worth it, wrapped up, as so many things are in our world, in toxic capitalism, in grief, all of those things. So I'm sitting in that reality. And... Since it is Valentine's week, I am myself, as my teacher has done before me. um, As in so many things, she paves the path and she turns back around and holds a lamp and lights the way for so many people to walk. Um, But I'm gonna talk about love too. And I'm gonna share a reflection and an insight that I had as I was listening to my teacher talk about love last night as I was tuning in virtually to her class from my bed in my pajamas because I was trying to rest. I was trying to choose a loving way of being for myself after a week. Like The last week has just been... I don't even have the words I'm still in the process but it was like mildly traumatic just the level of stuff I was contending with and I was feeling really depleted and so I chose to get a sub for a regular evening class and take the night off um, as an act of love for myself and I think that's an important piece of this too. I'm not one of those people who says we have to love ourselves in order for anything else to go right in our lives, in order to have a loving relationship or, you know, find fulfillment in whatever way. I'm not, there, there's a common refrain that you have to love yourself first. I think it's great to love yourself. I think it matters to love yourself. And I also acknowledge that sometimes we are, we don't have the capacity. Being mindful of capacity is really important. And sometimes just being alive and awake and present with ourselves is all we have and it's enough so I don't think we always have to love ourselves but I think loving acts toward ourselves matter so I chose that last night I chose to rest I was tuning in um, to my teacher's class in my pajamas and I was listening to my my spiritual teacher of how many years now let's see going on eight over seven years just just over seven years um listening to my spiritual teacher of just over seven years talk about love and of course because she is a yoga practitioner and a devotee of yoga um she couldn't talk about love and we as a community couldn't talk about love without talking about like detachment aparigraha as it is named in the the in the yoga sutras the the fundamental principles of yoga as laid out by Patanjali um, and laid out sort of in ancient seminal yogic texts, aparigraha or non-attachment. And that Sanskrit word can transliterate, can, can, we can find a literal translation of that word, um, though it's not the only one, but it can be a, a non-grabbing. Non-grabbing, not grabbing on anything, as in not closing our palms around anything. And my teacher was discussing how tough it is. It is our human condition that when we love, we want to grab tightly to it because love is such a, a beautiful, profound experience. She and many of my other teachers talk about love as the one of the most powerful, one of the the highest, one of the most profound, sort of energies or substances in the universe and it's so gorgeous when we feel it from all different sources because that's another thing i'm acknowledging in this week of love is that all kinds of love are valid but when we feel it we want to grab onto it we want to keep it close and we don't want to lose it or we don't want it to change because we know it's going to (laughs) hurt to have to change our relationship to love it might require us to give up something it might require us to miss something and that fucking hurts And it's the human condition to grab so that hopefully we don't have to experience that. And the reality, as taught in so many spiritual traditions, is that the changing of love, whether it is through death or just the closing of a chapter or the changing of the people who love each other, just the changing of their themselves and how they relate to each other, that inevitably love does change and how we relate to the love does change and it's just gonna hurt sometimes. Um, one of the, the, the first of the four noble truths in the spiritual tradition of Buddhism is that suffering is an inevitable part of life. Um, so it's gonna hurt, but when we're clenching onto it and it changes anyway, it hurts double <laughs> because not only do we have to deal with the loss itself and the change itself, we have to unclench our tightly clenched fists. And sometimes the thing is ripped from our tightly clenched fists and that causes extra pain. So that's the understanding of why detachment matters in love from from a yogic and spiritual perspective. And the acknowledgement from my teacher and from a lot of other folks I learned from and from me is always that it's, it's so not easy. It's so easy to speak about being non-attached or not grabbing too hard in principle, but we just do it and it's natural and we try to do the dance of, you know, noticing when we're grabbing and maybe loosening up the grip a little bit and being compassionate, you know, that love toward ourselves when we notice we're gripping on too tight if that's something we need to be doing in that moment and we just we just roll with it. But my teacher was was speaking about this non-attachment. And I had this this moment of realization and, and understanding and awareness and all the stuff at once because as you, if you've been listening to the show, you've kind of heard me through a lot of things. You've heard me and witnessed me, and I actually feel so much love and gratitude for that. But you've heard because you've heard and witnessed me through so many things, and you've heard and witnessed me through a period where I was, you know, navigating life as a woman entering late 20 hood and single and processing past relationships and letting go of the the stickiness and sometimes trauma and sometimes attachment that was um, connected to those things. You've heard me navigating all of that. And now I'm in a somewhat different phase or season where I actually have a partner right now. And though it feels... Just it feels lovely and and sweet and comforting and great to be in that season. It comes with its own set of challenges just as much as navigating singlehood in a world where you might want a partner or want that kind of romantic love does. And I've heard other people say that to me a million times that having someone can be just as tough as not. Um, And I heard it in my mind, but now I'm feeling it in my body and one of the reasons that it's tough is because of attachment and the dance of non-attachment that i know that i'm called to do as a spiritual practitioner not that anyone's making me or that i'm required but i strive for it from an internal place of motivation because i seek the 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 wholeness of yoga i seek the sort of the the connected consciousness that comes from yoga and a lot of teachers and paths and principals have laid out, you know, this is what helps if you're seeking that. And non-attachment is one of those things. So having a partner and knowing that non-attachment is one of my, my you know, sacred calls or sacred duties is such a wild dance because I I love my partner. I My heart pours love. It's it's one of the sweetest most grounded, most nourishing, healthy loves I've ever experienced. And I'm so, so grateful. And because I've already done almost a decade of spiritual practice and study going into this relationship, I'm in it feeling acutely aware that it's going to change in some way, someday. Whether that is because one of us is going to die or because we both change as individuals and the way we relate to each other changes, it's going to change. And thinking about that, I know that, you know, just because the way we relate to each other as individuals might change, doesn't mean the relationship itself has to end. We might be navigating in a different way. Um, but I'm just aware, I'm aware that inevitably, because this is the nature of all things, according to the the spiritual study that I have done and still do, it's going to change. And being in this sweet love while also having that knowledge is sometimes excruciating. (laughs) It's excruciating because it's hard to just settle in it because I want to just... There's multiple things I want to do and they're all grabbing, right? They're all attachment. They're all grabbing tightly. And I, I say this with a lot of grace for myself. But you know, one of the things I want to do is like shield it, hug it in really close to my chest, and protect it from any kind of change or you know tragedy or whatever, so that I get to keep it just like this always. I just want to keep it, keep it, keep it. That's one thing that I want to do. And the other tendency is that I want to like start overly preparing myself now for the change that will inevitably happen, Uh, and that. Can manifest as future tripping, as just trying to think about, or or being sort of even having intrusive thoughts about all the different ways that this this relationship could change, and over analyzing it because my my mind makes the mistake of thinking if I think about every single possibility, I can either stop those from happening or just be so prepared that it doesn't hurt. And as we touched on, that is just not true. It'll it'll double the pain. So I feel myself doing this dance of love and detachment and non-attachment. And it is the wildest and just most like it's sometimes it's infuriating. I'm so annoyed at myself. I'm like, why can't I just be in it and settle in it? And as I listened last night to my spiritual teacher teaching about these exact concepts about love and detachment, I had the same irritation with myself. And I thought about writing to her um, Cause that's one thing that we get to do in our community is, is send emails to our spiritual teacher and have our teacher, this monk and holy person know us deeply and know how we are. So I thought about writing to her and just telling her, man, Swami, I, it is so hard to be a spiritual practitioner and in love at the same time, because I know that this is going to change at some point and so i just can't settle and be easy in it and i thought about doing that and almost immediately um i knew i didn't need to for a number of reasons one that is a very like woe is me sort of victimy way of writing to my teacher and um my teacher very much acknowledges that there is real victimhood in life, but when we're self victimizing, she doesn't entertain that a lot. And I knew, I knew that that's what I would get from that. Um, and the wild thing about when I'm, when I'm actually listening to my teacher teaching in real time is that, you know, I, I the, the idea of, of the student teacher relationship and spiritual community is that we're connected in more ways than just like sitting in a room together, even if it's virtually, right? That we are connected by like energetic threads of love. And it's real and it's, it's tangible, even though it's like unseen and a little mystical. And so when I'm with my teacher in real time, sometimes I get the sense that she kind of can feel what's going on with me, whether I say it out loud or not. And so as I'm sitting here in my stuff, listening to her teach, having these thoughts around like, man, it's so fucking hard (laughs) to be in love and be on the spiritual path because I know I'm supposed to be non-attached, but that also manifests as, you know, just like obsessing over when I'm going to have to practice non-attachment and when it's going to change. As I was having that thought, I received deeper insight. And as you've, if you listen to the show, you've heard me say before, I can tell the difference. And this is not to just like prop myself up as some like wise intuitive. This is a muscle I believe that comes and and other, I've seen other folks and longtime practitioners say this, this is an internal muscle that comes with longtime practice where you start to be able to discern What's coming from your mind, and what's coming from deeper awareness, or or higher guidance, or whatever it might be. And so, I I'm developing that discernment even more as I enter, you know, and, and come into a decade of practice. So I received this insight that felt like it came from guidance or from awareness, and not from my mind. That it was just like, yeah, <laughs> that's it. This is love. You love, and you because you deal in the 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 world of insight and awareness you have the awareness that it's not always going to be the same and as cliche as it might sound or feel you know, you could use that as a way of feeding attachment, grabbing and shielding, or feeding aversion, which is sort of the the other side of the attachment coin where we push away out of defense, which is where my, oh, I've got to think about every possible way that this could change. Um, that's me pushing it away. So you could use this awareness. This is what the insight was was teaching me. <laughs> you could use this awareness to feed your attachment or aversion, Or you could just use it to feed the love. You could use the awareness that it's going to change in some way and someday. My dearest hope is that, you know, it changes when one of us dies, that that we get that. And that that's a long time from now. I have no control over that. That's my hope. I have no clue. But either way, I can use that awareness to just be in awe and be in gratitude for the fact that, yeah it's inevitable that something's going to change. And so the fact that I even get a glimpse of this, that I get this sweetness for just a moment, is incredible. It's miraculous. Because the nature of life, according to so many spiritual traditions, is fleeting and impermanent. The fact that I get to wake up one day at a time and still feel this sweetness and connection and love with this person and and feel those sensations in myself and in my body that's a miracle and all i can do is bow before it as my teacher and other other you know wise teachers might say to pranam to it and pranam is the gesture the mudra or the the hand posture where we place the palms together and thumbs at the center of the chest and it's an honoring and an acknowledgement. And so all I can do is just pranam. Just pranam to that. Wow, I get this. Thank you. And and use that to fuel the way I relate to my partner. And let them know like, holy shit, I'm amazed by the fact that I get to to do this. And be here for as long as I do. And I'm so grateful. And I love you so much. Just using the awareness of impermanence to feed just the, the glory of love itself rather than attachment or aversion. And it is not fucking easy. I'm cussing a lot in this episode because, you know, it's just real, I guess. But it's not fucking easy. I'm not saying, oh, I figured it out after listening to my teacher and I'm good now. But I have a, a different connection to it that can help me as I continue that dance of attachment, aversion, gratitude, and glory. Attachment, aversion, gratitude, and glory. And then what gets really wild is thinking about applying this awareness that I'm currently digesting and developing with so much gratitude, thank you, wisdom, thank you, Swami, thank you, Ma, thank you, teachers, for helping me find this. But what's wild is thinking about applying this in other places, not even just to the romantic love, which is one of the bigger ones, and it feels higher stakes, but applying it to like my yoga practice, which is the, the longest term relationship I've ever been in and one of the greatest loves of my life. Knowing that it's going to change and just glorifying it as it is in the moment. To my work in the world, to other relationships, to my body. Right? It's wild to think about applying it in different places. And I could do a whole other podcast episode just on like applying it to the body or applying it to the way we work. And maybe I will. But for now, I'll just, I'll just sprinkle that. I'll just touch on that as the, the next sort of phase of this awareness and as, as just a possibility to know that the dance is attachment aversion and then pure awareness of, wow, I'm just lucky I get to do this now. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna honor it as deeply as I can in romantic love and then the next phase is just to say where else can i apply that and i'm curious about that and curiosity i have learned and been taught is just one of the most spacious and spiritual places we can be so it feels good to kind of close our discussion or land toward the end of our discussion in in pure curiosity and so now you might be aware that the discussion portion uh, is wrapping up and so that means it's time to put it into practice because the only way we build these these muscles physically and emotionally and energetically uh, to do this wild dance and to build growing discernment and awareness around all these wild concepts is to practice Here we are. It is that time in the Awareness Offerings podcast where we shift from discussion into embodiment, from talking about it into meditating about it. And so I'll say that if you are not in a position to to sit in stillness and relative quiet for a few minutes, this is a great time to pause and come back to the podcast when you are. If you are currently in a place where you can join me in meditation, first thing I'll invite is that you find your way into a comfortable seated position. As I will say in all of these episodes and as I say in all of my classes, that means any seat at all. As long as you can lengthen your spine, find space at the center, spine as the center line, you're good. So you might position your arms and legs in any which way. You might be seated on the ground maybe with a block or a cushion or a blanket underneath you because I'm always gonna recommend height under the hips for the sake of the hips and the lower back if you're sitting on the ground. You could also be seated in a chair or on your couch or on your bed. You could have legs crossed. You could choose legs extended. You could choose knees bent or one knee bent. You could choose to put support under your knees or place your back against a wall. It's all good, just finding space for yourself, especially for your spine, central channel. And then settling into your space, perhaps by choosing to close your eyes, perhaps by taking a soft gaze, just an unfocused gaze down toward the tip of your nose or toward the floor. Just signaling to yourself, to your mind, your body, your system, that you're going to take a little time to prioritize the internal over the external. To turn toward yourself and maybe take some refuge, some energetic rest and centering there. So as you turn toward yourself here, you might turn some awareness toward your breathing. No need to change the breath or even do anything with it right now. Just tracking it, following the arc of your breath in and out. Curious if you can do that as it is. Because the breath is, it is happening in the present moment. So as you follow it, maybe you follow yourself to the present moment. You draw any like wild spiraling tendrils of energy back toward yourself and you begin to fill yourself, your present. Reality with a sense of awareness. Signaling to yourself that this is where you are. And it can take time. Sometimes it feels straightforward. Sometimes it feels sticky. Sometimes it involves the noise of the mind. And that can be a part of your present experience. You don't have to attach or avert, right? You don't have to grab the thoughts. You don't have to push them away. You can start to bring that awareness to them to say, okay, this is happening. And maybe you say, but what I would rather do, where I would rather be is with my breath or with whatever else connects me to the moment. And as you start to drop into your meditative space, you can guide yourself from the mind to your experience of the moment over and over as often as you need to. No shame. In fact, the more you do that, the more you recenter, the more you teach your brain, your nervous system to find center. And just as you acknowledge the mind, you might be acknowledging other parts of your reality, the way that your body feels, your energy levels. The flavors of emotion you might be experiencing. Where you're experiencing them. Just making space or opening space for all of it. Knowing that all of it is presence. Each piece of your wholeness as you are right now is presence and just... Acknowledging it is practice. Then to add some layers to our practice here, I'm going to invite you to place your hands in a certain way. You can say yes or no, but you might bring your hands to your lap somewhere. And then turn your palms to face up so that the backs of your hands are resting on your thighs or your knees. And we'll use body awareness first, a little body scan. You might just imagine breath or focus moving in the direction of your palms. You might feel the physical sensation at your palms. There's a lot of nerve endings in the hands, so it can be accessible sometimes to feel in the hands. So you might imagine or invite yourself to do that. To feel into your palms. There might be like a tingling or like a a vibrational sense there. That might just be awareness waking up in your palms. You feel the flat, open, round of your palm itself and then maybe the extension of your fingers and the, the weight of your fingertips. You might feel awareness of the air around you. Even the space where the skin at the palms meets the air around you. And any like blurred edges between them where your physical body extends into your energetic body or the energy field that surrounds you and kind of meets the air itself around you, just playing with whatever awareness you find there. Just as the yogic yogic tradition can teach about aparigraha, non-attachment, the noble truths of Buddhism teach that you know life is predicated on suffering. One of the roots of suffering is our attachment to wanting things to be differently than they are, and that in releasing that we can find more peace. And there is this Buddhist teaching about holding life with an open palm that symbolizes non-attachment. Not balling our hands into fists to grab, not putting our palms in front of us to push away, but holding whatever is. Not wanting it to be different by grabbing or pushing away, but holding whatever is with an easeful open palm. So perhaps as you breathe, Sit in your awareness and feel the palms of your hands here. You might acknowledge or recognize yourself as sitting with an open palm. Whether it's straightforward or easy or not, and oftentimes it's not, you are practicing holding what is with an open palm. And maybe you sit in that for a moment in the kind of art and science of energetics, the heart and the hands are deeply connected. If you were to reach your arms straight out beside you, you would find that your heart and your hands are on the same meridian, they are on the same plane. And indeed the hands are often how we take the heart into the world, we use our hands to make things, to touch people, to help. And so you might start to travel that awareness of your open palm, that sense of openness, maybe ease, whatever else is here, travel it up. Starting there at your palms, you might imagine or feel, envision or ask that it moves up from your palms into your wrists, right and left, from your wrists up into each forearm into the creases of your elbows and the bones of your left and your right elbow, up into your upper arms, the tops of your shoulders where your arms meet your torso, all the way into your shoulder blades on the back of your body, which the, the founder of my yoga lineage, Majaya, called the guardians of the heart, and then all the way into the heart, traveling awareness. From hands to the center of the chest, just a few inches over from the physical heart, the spiritual heart. And it doesn't have to be a one and done thing. You don't have to bring your awareness from your hands up your arms into your heart and be done there. You can feel this this flow, this oscillation, this constant movement of energy from hands to heart and back again acknowledging this connection between your open palm and your open heart willing to love or curious about that willingness to love come what may and even as awareness might move back and forth between your hands and your heart you might give yourself some time and space to breathe into your heart to imagine the the energy or the sort of the movement of the breath, even though it physically moves in your lungs, to imagine it traveling in through the center of your chest, through skin and bone, all the way back to those shoulder blades, and then traveling out from your shoulder blades all the way back through the center of your chest. Just breathing in and out at your heart, this center point between right and left, between the two palms, And maybe even that center point between attachment and aversion, between grabbing and pushing away. Awareness at the center. Awareness at the heart. Awareness is the heart. I'm going to invite you to start to gather in a little bit to start to bend your elbows, pull your palms toward you and taking your time. Eventually land with your left hand over the center of your chest, right hand over your left, gentle cupping in the hands, heart holding mudra. This holding yourself in the awareness you've cultivated, whatever openness you might have generated and whatever else you have Experienced and maybe received through your mindfulness practice. Holding yourself in compassion, knowing it's not always easy to do the dance of attachment, aversion, and awareness. But I honor deeply that you're doing it, and I invite you to maybe do the same. Maybe take a breath of honoring, maybe gratitude, maybe love in at your heart, out from the heart. And you can release your hands as you're ready. You can start to blink your eyes open, making any movements that might bring you back a little more into the external. But knowing that you can take your time, you don't have to jump out of your meditation practice and immediately be in the next state that you are expected or expect yourself to be in. There can be a flow where the state you've cultivated impacts whatever else comes next and I hope that for you as a blessing and as a blessing I'll end our episode this week highlighting maybe the most important part of the podcast I might have buried the lead a little bit but you know I spoke about that awareness that when we experience love you know knowing it's going to change in some way and how wild a dance that can be but the thing that changes and this this comes primarily from my teacher not me but the thing that changes is not the love itself. It's how we experience it, how what form it comes in, how we relate to it. That changes. But the love never changes. And maybe that's the deepest awareness. Thank you for listening to this Awareness Offering. The Awareness Offerings podcast is created, edited, and produced by me, Lara Tara Davy Joplin. My music is by my brother, Oxela, O-X-E-L-A, who can be found on Instagram, Spotify, iTunes, and beyond. You can keep up with me on Instagram at lara 2 underscores, Tara. Talk to you next time.